0: We are his workmanship, right? You know, I've always gotten in trouble in my life when I tend to treat the relationships in my life like they're my masterpiece. They're not. They're his. For we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared before the foundation of the world. Aren't you thankful that Jesus providentially cares and is involved in every area of our life? Come on. Can we just give God praise this morning if you believe that? I I want you to turn your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. That'll be our assignment this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, if you have a Bible. And uh, I want to look there, Ephesians chapter 5. If you'll open your Bibles there, we're going to look at that passage in just a few moments. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to say we are in our second week of the series on margins. And uh, what a delight it is to preach and to share God's Word. Number one, always, anywhere, in any location, but... A double honor, in my opinion, to preach to those that we love in our community here at Dwelling Place. And we're glad that you're with us. We're going to talk today about scheduling margin. Scheduling margin. Before I jump in, I want to say how good it is to have the Thurmans here from Orlando. Can you put your hands together and welcome them? Just so glad they drove up and were with us today. Thank you, guys, Tessa and Al, so much for being here. Now, as we get into it this morning, let me just ask you a few questions. And uh, I'm going to need crowd participation to really engage you today, and so we're just going to participate by show of hand. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say, I would love to have a little bit more time maybe for myself to rest or to do something that I really enjoy? Come on, just raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, cool. How many of you would say, if I had more time, that would be awesome, if I had more time? All right, cool. How many of you would say I'd love to have more time to spend with the people that I love? Is that a good desire? You better put your hand up if you're sitting next to somebody you love. Okay, you're gonna be a you're gonna be a, a bad bad situation for lunch. Okay, how many of you love to have uh, time to spend more time with God? Okay, cool, awesome. You better raise them high or got to make you a greasy spot in the little black chair that you're sitting. We love to spend more time with God, right? In reality, most of us would love to have more time to invest in these important places. But if the truth were to be known, let's just be honest today, if you actually had more time, that is to say, if God said, poof, days are now 34 hours, it is very unlikely that any of us would spend our time doing those things that we just said were important. I say, what do you mean, Craig? What I mean is that the reality of our lives is that culture has a way of overwhelming whatever margin we have. Let me just prove it to you. If you look at the last time that you had an unexpected off day, that is to say you went to bed, you woke up, and the day was now off, you were expecting to work, so you have 8 to 10 hours. The last time you had an off day you didn't expect, the chances are pretty good that you didn't spend 8 glorious hours in God's presence. But you just said that was important to you. You just said you wanted to spend more time with God, but yet when the time came, you didn't do it. Why? Because culture has a way of pulling us off of the things that are really important. Chances are you got up, you ran a few errands, you got caught up on chores around the house, you went to the computer, caught up on emails, you deleted the bottom of your iPhone or joy that said 2,642 unread emails, and you worked through that box or whatever, you did something to feel your time. It's a little bit like this. I don't know if you've ever driven a car whose wheels are out of alignment. And for me, I'm kind of world's worst at waiting to rotate the tires and get the alignment fixed. And so if you've ever driven a car, you know, my wife's car sometimes will pull right. And so you constantly have to fight, right? It's like it's going over into the, to the, you know, that part of the interstate, you know? And so it's like you're constantly having to fight back to the left because we are out of alignment. Well, how many of you know, in reality, those of us who are apart from Christ or when we're apart from Christ, we are out of alignment by nature with God. We are, in fact, enemies in the minds of God. We are, at that time, by nature, sinners, and the pull is away from God towards culture. Now, even when you get born again, even when you start following Jesus, still, the lure of culture is to pull you off-center into a marginless lifestyle. You say, oh, Craig, I'm lost. Well, if you missed last week, let's just start there. At the top of your card, you'll see, what are you talking about, margin, Pastor Craig? Well, margin, here's our working definition for the series. As we talk about having margin in the major er- areas major of our life, our working definition is this. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. In other words, margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. In our scheduling lives, margin would be having more than enough time. Margin would be having extra time. It would be having time to help someone who's in need without wigging out saying, Oh my gosh, the whole time you're doing it, I don't really have time to do this, but I need to do this. i I got so many other things to do. Margin would be having time to listen to our children and not be working in our minds. Margin would be the opportunity to be interrupted to help someone and be glad about it. You're doing an activity, somebody interrupts you, and you say, oh, I'm so glad that you interrupted me so that I could be here to serve you in this way. Margin is having a great amount of time with the people that we love. Not always fighting because we can't just seem to find time to connect intimately as spouses. Margin would be uh, having plenty of quality time with the creator and sustainer of the universe. Margin, let's just be honest, for most of us, the very thing we don't have, His margin. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 through 17 is a verse that I hope kind of establishes the trajectory of our study today. And here's what scripture says. Would you help me out in here? It's going to be on the screen but also on your card. The Bible says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but as wise. Be very careful dwelling place. Because if you're not very careful, you need to understand there's a pull away from the most important things to the lesser things that are not really important. The things of this world, he said, fight against the pull of culture. Take your will and constantly keep it back into alignment. Listen to me. The default stance of living is not wisdom, it's foolishness. If you're going to take the default stance of living, it's always going to be a foolish stance. He says, be very careful then how you plan. Be very careful what you say yes to. Be very careful what you say no to. Be very careful to fight, here it is, against the pull of this culture. He says and goes on, making the most, the verse does, of every opportunity because the days are evil. They're going to pull you off center. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He says, be very careful how you live. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be very careful how you live. Our culture will drag you away from the things that you say matter most and will drag you into a marginless and meaningless lifestyle. I was 19 years old and I read a book by Andy Stanley called The Best Question Ever. This book, I've read Andy Stanley a lot, but this this book called The Best Question Ever was comes at a pivotal time in my life, and this book had nothing to do with time. But the question that, that, that really captures the essence of this book is the one that I think is, I believe, is so important when it comes to our scheduling. For example, if I said to you, um, Hey, can you do such and such next Saturday? What you would do, most of us, chances are, we would look at our calendar and say, okay, are we free? Well, if we're free, we can do it. That's how we would answer it. Well, that is, well, are we free? Well, that's not a bad question, but it's certainly not the best question. If I were to ask you, or you might say, well, this is right or is it wrong? Well, if it's not wrong, then it must be right, so let's do it. That's not a bad question, but it's not the best question. A better question to ask when it comes to our scheduling, scheduling margin is not is it right or wrong? Is it sinful or is it not sinful? Or is it am I free or am I not free? The better question to ask is this in light of Ephesians 5 and 15, is it wise? Is it wise? In fact, look at your blank. I made one for you there in your card. I've given you a little blank section that says, in light of blank, you fill it in, is it wise? I would encourage you when you're making decisions about your schedule to fill in the blank with whatever is important in your life right now. Let me give you some examples. In light of our future hopes and dreams, is adding this to our schedule wise? In light of our current family situation, it could be in light of the fact that our marriage is not where God wants it to be. Is it wise to take on something else? In light of the fact that we have two children in diapers right now, Fill in the blank. Is it wise you fill in the blank? Let me ask the next question. In light of the fact that our 17-year-old has one year on all of his life on planet Earth under the care of our home, is it wise for us as a family to add this to our schedule? that's a great question. That's not right or wrong question. That's wise or unwise question. In light of where I want to be financially in 2016, is adding this to our schedule wise? In light of the fact that my days are numbered. James says your life is like a mist. It appears for a little while and vanishes. In light of the fact that life is precious and Short and every day is a gift from God. In light of that fact, is it wise, Meredith, for you and I to invest our days in this? Not is it right? Not is it wrong? Not is it sinful? Not is it dark? Not is it light? Is it wise to do so? Be very careful, be very, very careful. It takes intentionality. The apostle Paul is saying, You can't just say you can't just do these decisions. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise. But as wise, making the most of every opportunity because with each passing day, you're one day closer to eternity. All right. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do today? Here's what we're going to do. I want to try to answer the question, how do we schedule wisely? From my personal experience, I think the majority of us schedule foolishly and not wisely. How do we schedule wisely? I'm going to give you a simple statement. We've said it before. We'll revisit it many times if dwelling place is home for you. The answer to the question of how do we schedule wise is this. We must learn and we must have the courage and faith to say no to many good things so that we can say yes to the best things. What are we going to say no to? Do I replace? We're going to say no to many good things so we can say yes to what? Say yes to the best things because too many good things become quickly the enemy of the best things. The greatest, best things that God has designed your life to do. The antithesis is too many good things. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Romans chapter twelve. The apostle Paul makes a shift in his language. He makes a shift in the church. There he's writing in Rome from anywhere believers from six months to fifteen years, and he says in verse two, "Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but ye be ye transformed." Don't don't be pulled into the culture, but be different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can you show them that scripture? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, change the way you think. Don't think like everyone else. Don't be pulled like someone else. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. That's only when we're not Confronted, or excuse me, conformed to the pattern of this world. That's why I love when people tell me, Craig, your family's a little weird. I find so much comfort in that. What you guys do, it's it's just weird. Well, because what when I'm normal, that means I'm pulled toward the culture of this world but see catch this the closer I am towards God the more different than culture I should be that is to say that as I grow in wisdom I grow away from foolishness that is to say as I grow as a disciple I look differently than the people that are in my job I, I'm, I'm, I'm different I'm pulled aside when people say oh man man you guys are weird I'm like thank you because normal's not working normal is not working what's normal in marriage divorce Thank you very much. I don't want normal. What's normal in parenting? Rebellion and kids living crazy for three to six years of their life. Thank you very much. I don't want normal. What's normal in finances? Being completely in debt up to our eyeballs and effectively siphoning and limiting God and what he can do and desire to do through our hands and our lives. I don't want normal. I don't want normal. What's normal in scheduling? Being so overburdened and so frenzied that you have no margin and being overwhelmed and frenzied and stressed and miserable, but yet having a full schedule and being totally empty inside. I don't want normal. I desire not normal. You know what the most normal answer I get to the most normal question I give? Now, I knew what I was preaching this week, so I did a little beta test last week in our community. But let me tell you something. When I ask the question, hey, man. What's up? How's it going? Number one response I get every time, and let me tell you something, 100% rate last week. Hey, hey, man, what's up? How's it going? Oh, everything's great. Busy. 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 Real good, but busy. Everything's great, but busy. Hey, how's it going? Busy. What's going on right now? Really busy? I don't know the last time I heard somebody say, hey, man, what, how's, how's, what's going on in your life? Oh, man, ain't nothing going on over here. Are you serious? Like, are you lost? Like, are you a loser or something? Because really important people keep their lives... I mean, have you ever asked somebody, oh, not, not much going on? No. just Kind of sitting around. I mean, you ask somebody, hey, hey, how's it going? Busy, busy. How's it going? I mean, all important people are busy, right? Because if you're not busy, you're not important. So how you doing? Busy, 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 busy. Hey, busy, busy. Uh, great, busy, busy. Busy, uh, busy. Uh. What we have to understand is that busyness does not equal productivity. Busyness does not equal meaning. Busyness does not equal fruitfulness in God's kingdom. There are so many people busy doing useless things. And our greatest fear in life should not be failing. It's succeeding in life at things that don't matter. Busy. Busy doing useless things. Busy filling our schedules with things that don't matter in eternity. In fact, I would argue that so many people are being robbed from a life of needing, not because they are not committed, but because they are Overcommitted. I gotta say that again. I think many people are being robbed of a life of meaning, not because they are not committed, but because they are overcommitted. Overcommitted. That's why I want to challenge you. I want to dare you. I want to trip a dog dare you if we're in elementary school. I want to beg you to have the courage and the faith to say no to what many others say yes to so you can say yes to the very best things. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Listen, when I was uh, 22 years old, I was pastoring at a church called Free Chapel, and I was doing uh, high school ministry and college ministry I moved into. And so we had Monday night, school discipleship, Wednesday night, high school ministry, Thursday night, college ministry. And at that time, you had Friday night encounters or, you know, weekend events. And so most every week, it was at least four nights a week. They were crazy. My first year... That I worked there on the book. She had to sign inside out. I averaged 76 hours per week in the office. In addition to that, what was going on. And so I remember getting opportunities. Now, people started asking me to come preach. And uh, I started getting opportunities to do things. And I found myself saying, how can I say no to this? This looks like a good opportunity. How in the world can I say no to that? I'd go home to Meredith and say, how can I say no to this? And she'd say, here's how you say it. Watch me. No. I'm like, how's that? She's like, no, look, look, look. Watch this. Watch, 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 watch. Look right here. Ready? No. Like that don't even sound good. Like, right? like, no. What do you mean? No. Just watch it again. I'll say it again. You ready? Look right here. No. If someone asks you to do something that's not in the best use of the time and that God's called you to be, you just say, no. No. Oh, that's not nice. That's not uh, no, no, no. Do I have to give a reason, Pastor Craig? No, let me set somebody free. No is a complete sentence. You like that? No. You don't have to tell people. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to defend your family. You just say, no. I'm not gonna do it. And I remember it's being so difficult. You say, well, that's not very fancy. Well, then just say it like this. If you want to be fancy, just say, no. Okay? If you put that, it just adds some little fancy to it, right? Just, no. In fact, I want to tell you something practical about my family. The very same things that we're deciding to say no to So we can say yes to some of the better things. I admittedly admittedly say it's different than our culture. And uh, I really brought this up to my wife this last week. And and what I found in my family, my wife really loves family night in terms of uh, sitting down at the dinner table. I think it's one of the most holy endeavors that we can do. Sit down at the dinner table, turn off all electronic devices and communicate. Sometimes one's on to listen to music. We do question game. I started question. My kids want to do question game anytime they sit down with anybody now. They love question game. Or we'll take one person, and we'll we'll edify that one person. Let's talk about three things that we thank God for Marley and Moscow for. And so Knox takes a turn, and then Mom takes a turn, and then I take a turn. And so it's been very refreshing. But what I've still found is that, and I know my kids are going to hate me as they get older. But I've found that we get a lot of time together intentionally. But what I've found is that we noticed we didn't really have intimate time. We had in our home a kind of common distraction. Knox on the iPad with monster trucks. Me on the computer with emails. Anytime it's downtime, what we call margin time. Meredith checking Facebook. Notice I put Facebook on her and me, emails on me. Sometimes just switch, you know. but Or Twitter or Instagram. And so... What we did is we found ourselves in isolating technologies. That's all technologies do. Now, they're great. They should be leveraged, but they isolate, right? And so we just made this deal, okay? Mayor, what if, you, what if we right now institute in our home what we call two days per week as non-technology? And we talked about this for a while. In other words, you cannot touch an electronic device in the house all day. Well, my, my wife homeschooled, so it didn't work for our family. In other words, Marley needed to be able to do something on maybe a phone when she's teaching Knox. It didn't work. So we're coming up with a new process, and that's just to take time slips, you get 15 or 20 minutes on a time slip. You take that, and you can stay on the iPad for 15 minutes a day, and then it's done. Why? Because I love to wrestle my rugrats. Now, I'm 30 years old, and my knees hurt when I'm on the hardwood floor. Knox don't understand why I can't play football on my knees. You know what I'm saying? He wants to play football all the time, but I wrestle. And what I've found is that it brings so much emotional connectedness. It's just intentionality. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as why. Speaking of technology, I read an article this week from USA Today. And listen the average american spends 28 hours a week watching television 28 hours a week folks do you realize that's more than 3 productive work days watching the television Is that wise? I mean, think about this for a minute. If you're the average American, by the time you reach your mid-70s, you spend over 10 years numbing out in front of a box. Is it wise? Normal, yes. But wise, no. Think about we stand before God and one-seventh of our life was used watching a screen. It's got to be sinful, really, honestly. I know that's not popular in in the culture, but think about that. One-seventh of our lives, dumb and numb in front of a screen. 28 hours a week. Is it wise? No. Right or wrong? That's not the question. Is it wise or unwise? Is it wise to be spending our time in such a way? We make the choice. We make the choice. People say, well, I wish I had more time for this. I don't have time for what's important to me. No, you have time for what you choose to have time for. You make the choice. And don't let anyone else take from you what is most important. He says, be very careful then how you live. You choose. Here's what's amazing to me. For those in the room that are Christians... There are two things that are phenomenally important to your success and your relationship with God. But soon as the margin is squeezed out of your life, in almost every circumstance, instantly these two most important ingredients are squeezed out of your life. You watch. As soon as you get rushed or overwhelmed, the two most important things that we should never let go of are often the first things to go. What are those two things? Number one, spending intimate time with God. And number two, taking intentional times of rest. The two most important things that we should have with margin, we end up squeezing out first. Intimate time with God, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Many years ago, I read a book by Oz Guinness. It was called The Idol of Relevance. I loved it. But in that book, he gave another book uh, that I began to read. He gave a suggestion of another book about time. And this book took the premise that Christians should think totally different about time. He used and quoted Ephesians 5, and he said that we should redeem the qu- the time. And he asked the question, you ready? I'm going to propose it to you. I've never been asked this question until I read the book. He said, what would your schedule look like if God were really in charge of it? Now, when I read that at 19 years old, that was a brand new thought to me. What would your schedule look like if God were in charge of it? I wrote that down after I read that book and I began to answer the question. Now, i got to be honest with you. Since that time, I've given a lot of thought about time. I actually have a fascination with schedules, my own, other people's schedules. If you want a really fascinating study, look at the life of Jesus and do an analysis of his daily, weekly, and monthly time. He has patterns that are remarkable. Just do an analysis through the scriptures of Jesus' schedule. You think about Jesus' schedule. I've studied the schedules of leaders in history. Did you know that Winston Churchill, he worked out of his bed until 11 a.m.? Every day. He brought in meetings. They brought him breakfast. He did a half day's work from his bed. 11 o'clock a.m. He woke up about five and he worked for six hours. He did all of his meetings right there in his room. It just worked for him. Did you know Leonardo da Vinci? He never slept at eight hour chunks. He worked till he was exhausted, took a two hour nap, got up and worked. He worked till he was exhausted, took a two hour nap, got up and worked. He thought for his schedule he didn't need to take eight hour chunks of time. Listen, that's a crazy schedule. But if you study history, leaders who've accomplished great things did so with weird schedules. And here's the point. They just simply experimented with their schedule. They saw what worked for them, and then they didn't apologize to anybody else. Which brings me to the big question. You ready? I've got to propose it to you, and I want you to give thought to it. Here it is. At the beginning of 2016, we're on the third Sunday. Is your current schedule working for you right now? Is your current schedule working for you? You may say yes, you may say no. Let me ask you this. Would you think I'm lying to you or think I'm spinning a dice if I told you that I'm of the opinion that the thoughtful arrangement of your daily and weekly calendar could be one of the most holiest endeavors you would ever put your hands to? Communion's holy. Baptism's holy. But what if scheduling is really, really holy? I'm of that opinion. What do you mean, Craig? What if I told you That drafting a new weekly or monthly schedule is tantamount to writing the whole new script for this next season of your life. Would you believe me? Think about it. What if I told you that your calendar plays a critical role in determining who you will be in this next season of your life? Would you buy it? Because I actually believe that when you take time to write your schedule, you are making choices with huge ramifications. Let me give you the premise of what I'm trying to say, is that your schedule and my schedule should be far less about what I have to get done than who I want to become. Your schedule, my schedule, should be far less about the things that need to be accomplished than it should be about the people we want to become. Let me give you an example. How many of us, when we put together our weekly and monthly calendar, here's what we do. We sit down. It may be a Sunday night. We sit at Starbucks, our favorite coffee shop, the kitchen table, and here's what we do: we grab a sheet of paper, we write a basic list of where we need to be, when we need to be, on which days, so we don't lose our jobs, or we lose our kids to defects because we didn't pick them up from the soccer field. So we write the things that we would get in trouble for if we didn't do. You do that for work. It's not an option for you. It's not an option. So you write down the things that are absolutely have-tos, necessaries. After we include all of the have-tos, we look at the list of responsibilities. Here's what we do. We grit our teeth. We go to the prayer closet and say, God, help me survive another 30 days. And it goes on month after month after month after month after year after decade. And we never live our lives. We just simply skim them. Marginless living. Now pause. I did those schedules for years. You may have too. I'm changing. Getting clarification. A lot of clarity and a lot of focus. What do you mean, Craig? Let me give you. The last season of my life, I had lots of meetings. That's just endemic. Uh, How would I say this? (laughs) That's endemic to churches sometimes when we lose mission or focus or the longer you maintain. We'll just say it that way. So I have a lot of meetings. So in... A lot of meetings, that means Monday night is prayer meeting. I was youth pastor on Wednesday night. I was college minister on Thursday night. And so Tuesday nights may be meetings with our team leaders. And so I'm going to I, I, never forget this. I have two kids. And Knox one day, and not a hatred attitude or not a bitter attitude. He just simply said on a Tuesday evening or afternoon when I was getting ready, he said, Dad, are you going to be gone again tonight? Now, it wasn't mean, spirited. I just thought about it. Yes, I'm going to be gone. I got in the car and started eating at me. And I thought to myself, why am I going to be gone tonight? You know why I was going to be gone tonight? Because it was on my schedule. Meeting, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. But then I thought, oh my gosh. Why am I really going to be gone? And in that moment, I don't know how to explain it to you in the power of that, that moment. This tension grew. And for the first time in my life, I asked the question. Should my weekly non-related, non-work-related activities be on my schedule? Oh, let me let me give it another way. How holistic should my schedule be? Should I write down non-work-related activities? And this was a humbling set of questions and a humbling set of answers because I was going on Tuesday because it was on my schedule. So I give you a question, and there's your blank. What investment of time would it take for me to be a great dad to Knox and Marley? It's a question I ask. What investment of time? I can't bear the thought of two kids' childhood passing me by so quickly, so i got to figure this out. I just feel like my answer is this. Please understand, the Holy Spirit will govern your decisions. I'm not placing... The only way I know how to preach this message is to share with you about mine. I'm not placing this on you. But what I felt like for our family is that I'm going to have to give, out of a five-night week, I'm going to have to give three nights a week to being at home with my family in this season of life. So if I do growth phases on Thursday nights, then I'll do something on Wednesday nights and something comes up on Friday, then the kids are coming with me. This has got to happen. It's three nights a week. Three nights a week. And then for the first time in my life, at that time I used calendars that you write, you know. Some of you millennials, I don't know if you know this, you can get them at the antique shops. They are like, uh, they have like boxes, they have like boxes and then you can like, you know. But, but now I use my phone and MacBook, but, but you can buy them at the antique shop. Uh, and I had this book and you literally wrote down your stuff. And listen, for the first time in my life, I wrote in the evening time, home. Folks, I don't know how to explain to you how powerful that moment was in terms of a schedule. If you've never had a moment like that it, with regard to your time, um, I pray you have it. It's like the clouds open up. It's like sun shines. And it's all of a sudden focus and clarity like you've never experienced before. What do you mean, Craig? Are you telling me that if I put home just like I would put board meeting, just like I'd put church, just like I'd put growth phases, I, for the first time in my life, I could see the supernatural, let's say near supernatural, power of a schedule. I could see it. What do you mean, Craig? Are you, are you saying what I write on a piece of paper might enable me to be the kind of dad God wants me to be? That's crazy. That's crazy. Are you meaning to tell me that how I arrange the slots on a sheet of paper can change the destiny of Jonathan Knox Mosgrove? That's exactly what I'm saying. Are you meaning that what I type in the calendars on my phone can change the destiny of Marley and Mosgrove? That is crazy. That's supernatural power. What I do with my kids in the evening can change the destiny of my children? Again, I'm not sure if you've ever had a moment like that with time. But it's powerful. There's so much leverage in what I put on a paper, so much leverage in what I put in my weekly schedule. And I think, I'm just gonna challenge you. If you were to take time early in 2016 to prayerfully and thoughtfully redraft your schedule, it might have implications far beyond what you can imagine. So let's start with this question. You ready? Who do you wanna become in 2016? Who do you wanna become? Who do you wanna, not what do you have to get done? That's later. Now, before we get too esoteric and spiritual, can I lighten the mood a minute? Because some of you are already like, well, I wish I would have figured out the schedule thing this morning on this message. You know, before, before we jump in, let, let me just lighten it a bit. Personal example. I think this will give you the gist. 2005 rolled around. I was 20 years old. I was pastor at the time taking 18 hours of school and getting ready for marriage. I was traveling back and forth from Hickson, Tennessee to Cleveland, Tennessee. I had come to a decision in my life that I had been a little bit too sheltered in this sense, and that as I'm moving into ministry, I wanted to be a more integrated person. I wanted to be a person who had greater compassion for the disenfranchised and marginalized people of our culture. So you know what I did? Brother Al, I got in my truck. I drove downtown Chattanooga, and I walked into a building on a Tuesday evening that said, Prison Prevention Ministry, PPM. And on Tuesday nights, I wrote down in my schedule, 7 to 9 p.m. Silverdale Detention Facility. Then I did it. In the simplest of terms, the simplest, what I did is I literally put in ink Tuesday nights, weekly schedule for two years, Silverdale detention facility. Two years, 104 Tuesday nights later, I was a totally different person. It is not unsafe and not unbiblical to say my life completely changed because of my experiences in pod D of Silverdale detention facility with men who were greatly marginalized. I sit there. What did I do? All I simply did was said who I want to become integrated. I plugged into my schedule who I want to become and voila, there I became it. Oh, that sounds like magic. No, just scriptural. You find out who you want to become. You plug into your schedule who you want to become, and it's crazy, folks. Like, for instance, if you wanted to be a flight, a private uh, flight uh, captain right now, a pilot, here's what you do. On Wednesday nights, you could schedule for one hour down in Atlanta, 5 to 6 p.m. flight school. You could do that. And in six months, you would be a pilot. It's almost mysterious that when you pick who you want to do, you plug it into your schedule, something just crazy happens. It's almost like you change. Yep, that's what happens. You become somebody different based on flight school, Wednesday, 5 p.m., and then you just stick to it. You just do it over and over and over and over again. I read uh, this, week, uh, uh, this week a book uh, called Time Management by William Headland, and he tells of a story. He was in a dead-end job. This man didn't do well in school, and so he was in a dead-end job, he was low-paying, and he couldn't handle the thought that he had to survive this way for decades. He had a young family. You know what he did? He said, i got to change something. So he said, I'm going to take a night class on Tuesday nights for two hours. Night class. He plugged it in the schedule. And that was two years, 104 Tuesday nights later. He gets to the time where he finishes. He receives a professional degree. He changed jobs and changed career. And he's now retired, the book says. And he's able to have financial margin to put into things that mean a lot to him. It is not wrong to say his whole life changed because of Tuesday nights in ink. His entire family and decades and generations to come changed because of night classes. That's it changed his whole job his whole life his whole career his whole job changed from nc night class 7 to 9 p.m and he stuck with it the power of a schedule Woo, it's powerful i'm sure you all know the name john grisham oh yeah john grisham great fictional author i used to take jabs at my wife all the time because i no offense but i didn't like fictional i don't like fictional reading too much but i made a goal in 16 to read fiction and so John Grisham, if you don't know him, he's a novelist who sold, I think, right now over 300 million books. He's a, he's a disciple, by the way, a strong believer in Christ. And do you know his story? He, he was an attorney. He didn't like being an attorney too much. So he said, one day I've got to change my schedule. He wanted to become an author. So here's what he did. He arrived at his lawyer's desk one hour early than the law firm required. That's it, 60 minutes. And as he arrived at his lawyer's desk... He took out his computer and he made a vow and commitment to write one page of a novel in 60 minutes. That's not too hard. 250 pages or 250 words, 300 words. One page. So in 5 days, a work week, he had 5 pages. Listen, listen. He changes 60 minutes on his calendar and over a few years becomes one of the most prolific novelists the world has ever seen. 60 minutes. And I just read on Monday and Tuesday a book. This is a sequel to Time to Kill. It's called Sycamore Row. Read it. If you haven't read it, it'll challenge your thoughts on race relations. Powerful. Great book. Especially our day and age. Now I'm reading a second one. Started called The Partner. Started this week. It's a man who gets $50 million and takes off the Rio. I love Brazil. That's one reason I love the book. And another one, this you don't know whether you like this guy or don't. I mean, it's just a major, major suspense. But, but I'm trying to read fiction this year. John Grisham changed 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes. Can I ask you again? Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? In my last season of life I had a young man who was struggling with uh, pornography greatly. Had been um, had been exposed at a very young age. Struggling, he had uh, major major issues or inadequacy socially, ineptitude. And uh and he couldn't interact well. It was really hard for him to break down the walls and barriers. And So I was sitting in my office with him one day and I said, "Brother, I said I can help you if you'll you'll let me help you." He said, "Yeah." I said, "Um you want to change? He said, yeah. I said, get out your calendar. He said, do you have a calendar? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to write two words down on your calendar, the first and third Sunday night of every month. Would you do it? He said, yeah, I'll do it. I said, write down on the first and third Sunday night of every month, I want you to write down in your schedule, small group, small group. I said, if you want to learn the essence of Christianity, what it means to be accountable in relationship, and you want to break down the walls and stop being isolated, then you you commit, first and third Sunday night, being in small group. Then I just forgot about it. That's what we pastors do. Just forgot about it, honestly. Did you know that about eight months pass and it's time to baptize him? And he comes back to me and he says, Craig, do you remember our conversation? I said, oh my God, yeah, I do remember our conversation. He said, the first few times I went to small group, it was horrible. I didn't know the people didn't want to open up. He said after about the second month of me going, all of a sudden I became trustworthy. They became trustworthy. They began to open up. And he said, listen, not only now is my small group the closest people in my life, they are sincerely like my family. He hangs out with them every day. It wasn't just first and third Sundays. What happened? I was reminded again, Al, plug something into your schedule, you change your life. We got three, four new small groups launching tonight and tomorrow. We have one already going, Gil and... Uh, uh, Blanca Pena, back here. their small group tonight, meeting in North at 6 to 8 p.m. We have Trent and Ashley Arrington. They're starting a group. It's a young couples group. It's very kid-friendly. It's going to be at six, uh, 5 o'clock because of the kids. It works better with their schedule, 5 to 6.30 tonight, right off Town Lake Parkway. We have nice uh, uh, Bryce and Natalie Patrick, and they're going to be launching in Roswell. It's going to be another couples and single small group. It's anyone, come one, come all, anyone east of here, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. We have a single female group. that's going to be meeting tonight. Not just really single females, just any young females. It's going to be Danielle, and it's going to be uh, Tony Parsons. They're going to be meeting in Kennesaw. It's right off of Chastain Road, 6.30 to 8 o'clock p.m. We're going to be talking and discussing how do we recraft and redraft the schedule. Small group. We have another one. Uh, Travis leads one at KSU on Monday nights. It'll take place tomorrow night, even though it's Martin Luther King, they're still going to meet. It's going to be taking place for college-age men right there on Kennesaw's campus. And you say, oh, I want to be... I want to be involved. I want to be relational this year. Well, then you're going to have to plug it into your schedule. Here's one of my latest hobbies. Almost every weekend, Pastor Chad, I think you've had this happen time or two. You get done preaching. One of my favorite things to do is to come down and pray with people. So I'm praying with people. We're having a conversation. And then some of them talk about what they don't like about the message. Some of them talk about what they do like, what's going on in their lives. Some conversations are serious. Some are not. And here's what happens every time. People say, oh, man, I love that message today, or I love that gathering. It's awesome. And then here's what they'll say. They'll explain, well, this is what I liked about it. But then that conversation always ends in this way, and they add another part. You know what, Pastor Craig, I almost didn't come today. I almost didn't come. I was thinking about not coming. I was thinking about sleeping. I was thinking about doing something else, but I just, I'm just so glad I came. And for me, many, many years of my life, I had no idea how to respond to that. Oh, praise God. Glad you came, you know. But now I'm a little bit older, a little bit feisty. So here's kind of my common response. This happened about a month ago right here in our community. When they say to me, oh, I love the gathering, but almost didn't come this morning, here's what I say. Um, my new approach. Excuse me? You don't have worship gathering plugged into your weekly regular calendar? Are, are you you're waking up on Sunday mornings flipping a coin of whether or not you're gonna be in church? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Oh, I know it's not popular. You're serious like it's heads or tails if you're going to be in church? If you have the vaguest intent of being a disciple in 2016, it is a non-option. You get up and you gather with God's people. And in 52 Sundays, you're different. It's not an option. Oh, my goodness, people. I mean, it's like, come on. Like, oh, I'm sin come. Like, what, would, what else did you have to do? Like, was it an option for you? You've got to plug it in. You've got to stay committed to it. Why? Why, 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 why? Here it is. Because you want to become a greater disciple. You want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's not scriptural. Yes, it is. That's why I put it in your card. Luke chapter 4, look at this. This is very scriptural. Luke chapter 4, notice this. Powerful, powerful statement. Jesus, in Luke four sixteen. If I get really, really feisty, I look at the person after I say that. And I say, hey, Jesus had church plugged into his weekly schedule. By this point, they wish they hadn't come to church. As they do, they wish they hadn't talked to me. Luke 4:16, look what the Bible says. And it came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and was his custom, he entered the synagogue. He was not flipping coins on whether or not church attendance was to be a rhythm of his life. He was committed. He was in it. It was his custom, Paul's. If our Redeemer and leader had church plugged into his calendar, why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you? I had a friend. His name was James Bradford. He lives in Cleveland, Tennessee. Very overweight man. And very much according to his own assertion, felt really guilty about it. He had been that way for about 20 years, 15, 20 years. He would hear sermons about God honoring God with his body, and he would be, feel so guilty. He loved God with all his heart. This man loves God. But he got so tired of it, so he said things have to change. And in January 2013, I didn't talk to him until after the year had ended. But in January thir- th- 2013, here's what he did. He said, I'm so sick of it. I hear a sermon on honoring God in my body, and I've got to change. So in January, he wrote down three times a week in his middle day, Workout, workout, workout. And then he did it. And in one year, with dieting and workout, he lost 122 pounds. And he felt the best he's felt in 20 years. He literally changed his lifespan and destiny and for his kids by one word on a calendar. He changed it. This, this, this power of scheduling thing is mysteriously powerful. Workout. Just changing. He committed to it. I want to ask you a question. Who do you want to become in 2016? Who do you want to become? Sounds like magic, correct? Does it always work? No, it doesn't. I got to tell you the converse is true. I have family members who this last year went through a very difficult time. Their marriage was very, very difficult. I married this family member. And uh, I kind of got thrown into the situation a little late. But they were attending a church at the time, and they met with their marriage counselor, and they felt like who they wanted to become was people that were married, and so they plugged into their schedules. Marriage counseling. They were to go 12 sessions. First two were really difficult. Third one was difficult. They found themselves not communicating even more. They quit going, found out that there was infidelity in the relationship, they divorced no matter what conversations were had. And I often think, what would have happened if they just would have committed and done the 12? They had it on their calendar. They had it on their calendar. And now their kids and kids' kids will be affected because of lack of commitment to a calendar. Whoa, Craig, you serious? I'm being serious. Just doing it. Committing, who do you want to become? And then doing it. Committing to being that person, committing to that in your schedule. I heard of an organization. Pure meddling for a minute. Pure meddling. I have no right to do this, but pastors just somehow have to do it. A word about your work. When you signed on the dotted line at your job and you said, yes, I want to be employed, you signed to be adhering to their start times, to their lunch times, and their ending times. That's what you did. You, you sign. I want to ask you, do you keep your word with your employer? Are you more of an integrous individual in your company? You did it, right? I heard an organization that this is the way they did I thought this was brilliant. When people show up late to a meeting, promptness is next to godliness, right? No? All right, for me. Promptness is next to godliness, okay? And so, so I heard this company, this organization, what they did was when you showed up late to a meeting, Zay, and everybody was sitting around. It's real simple because everybody gets jealous and they're their teeth and they can't listen to the rest of the meeting because they're worried why so-and-so showed up late. You've been in these meetings. Please tell me you have, right? So here's what you did. When you come in late to a meeting, you had to stop the meeting just for a brief moment and you looked at everybody in the face and you apologized. I apologize for being late. I apologize for being late. You didn't say, oh, I got caught in the snow, got caught in extra traffic. You just said, I apologize. Now here's the deal. You sit down, it's over. Well, what's so beautiful about this process and this organization is if you do it over and over again, you keep coming in and saying, I'm sorry, and people realize you're not sorry. And then your yes loses all meaning, and then the employee is now pretty much terminated. Why? Because it was no longer about carelessness. It was about character, and character is habitual being late because you're not changed. You said yes to do it. I know that's not popular, But that's what you're doing, right? And so now, this, I I thought, man, we should do that as a church. You know, people showing, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, you know, just just pure meddling again. Like, you know, a service time. We want to start services on time. And people use the the worship time as kind of like the springboard for the most important time. No, this is all important. It's all important, folks. I'm I'm committing to it. This is who I am, right? This is who I want to be in 2016. I know just pure meddling, but pastors got to do that. Who do you want to be in 2016? It's almost like the scripture is telling there's an urgency about our time. I'm almost finished. If we're going to establish the kingdom of God here on earth, if we're going to push back the kingdom of darkness, if we're going to advance the purposes of light and peace and justice and righteousness in the world. I was on a treadmill this week. It was Monday afternoon and I was praying about this and this stuff was igniting in my heart. I want to tell you very clearly the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I'm not mixing my words. I want to tell you what the Spirit of God spoke to me very clearly as I was running. Here's what the Lord said to me. He said, Craig, if dwelling place is ever going to establish churches that really change communities, we're going to need significant amounts of time and energy from every single disciple's schedule. That's what he said. If we're going to be a movement, as many of you know, we're a church planting movement, I just desire to want one church. If we're going to be a movement that really plants churches that affect communities, in other words, we're going to need people to set up their daily, weekly, monthly schedule with this grander vision in mind, right? We're about advancing the kingdom of God. We're about in this thing together to see God's kingdom come. There's an urgency. So, So what's your schedule? If it's kids? Monday night, kids. Plug it in. Kids kids three nights a week. You do that? And in six months, if I'm wrong, you come and tell me I'm a liar. Your emotional connectedness to your children will be different. What's coming to your mind as I explain this? Jesus had an in ink on his schedule. Church. Can I just say this? If your goal is to be a mature believer and disciple, you got to put it in ink. I'm not being offensive, but it is so arrogant as a disciple to blow off worship gatherings when the one we worship had it in his schedule on ink. That's arrogant, isn't it? That's presumptuous. It really is. If you think about it. If Jesus did it, we've got to do it. Is church on the schedule in pencil or ink? Ink. Ink. This is what I'm I'm committing to. Not just ourselves, but for other people. So I want to give you practical coaching and I'm done. Five simple steps you can become a whole different person in sixteen. Here they are. They're at the bottom of your card. Number one, step number one. You got to ask, who do you want to become? That's the first answer. If you don't answer that question, you can't move forward. Now there's a lot of answers and tons of right answers. You could be a better dad. Better dad may be your answer. Better leader. More engaged spouse. Biblically literate. Biblically literate person. Married. Come on, somebody. Anybody single? And you want married to be that person? The number one. You know, who do you want to become? Married. Who do you want to become? What if yours is sober? For the sake of your family? For the sake of generations to come, please plug something into your schedule that would cause you to get sober. What if yours is purity? I'm ready to get rid of the immorality sexually in my life. Just I gotta be a pure person. You gotta plug it into your schedule. That's step number one. It's critical to get clear. Here's the second one. Step two requires you to invest a chunk of your time into the activities that have the highest potential of helping you attain who you want to become. So catch this. If you want to be a better friend in 2016, it has to appear on your schedule. It's not enough to Facebook and Twitter. That's not better friend. Come on, that's not really. So here's what you're going to do. Don't kid yourself and think you're going to be a better friend if you don't put yourself in activities that cause you to be a better friend, right? So if you want to be a better friend and you put small group on your schedule and then something comes up that you think is urgent, the tyranny of the urgent tries to hit you across the face like our culture does. You say, sorry, I can't do it because who I want to become is a better friend. And being a better friend means I have to do activities that cause me to attain that goal. See, if you know who you want to become, you align Who you want to become with activities and engagements that cause you to be that person. The power of a schedule. You want to be biblically literate? I want to be able to be biblically literate this year. Okay. I want to grow as a disciple. Thursday night, growth phases. I'm committing. This year I want to be a greater disciple and I don't want to not be able to talk about the Bible when they have conversations at work. Okay. I've told you this before, but just simply take 15 minutes every morning. Did you know you can read through the whole Bible in a year, even if you're a very slow reader? If you do 15 minutes a day, you'll read through the whole Bible in a year. And so this time next year, January will roll around, and any book that you want to talk about, you can talk about. You're biblically literate, but it won't happen unless you put it in your schedule. You got to plug it. Step three, maybe it's health and fitness. Folks, if you feel unhealthy in here, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you'll feel more unhealthy next year unless you change your schedule. You got to do something. Maybe it's gym. I don't know what it is. Gym. But you got to do it. Some of you say financial insanity ends in 16. Okay, if that's the case, you got to plug in your schedule. Step three if at all possible, inject relationship into whatever activities you're doing. Why? Because it's not just about you, right? Going to church not just about you anymore, is it? It's about your sons and daughters and about the people that you can serve and be an encouragement to. It's not just about you. So catch this. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, If two are better than one, if one falls down, a friend can help him up, but pity the one who has nobody to help him up. Anytime you can invite into the, in your change process somebody else, the probability of success shoots out the roof. Is that Right? If you want to get better and be fit in 2016, you put somebody involved in that, and what happens? Accountability, encouragement goes out the roof, right? If you can put somebody into your change process, it will help tremendously. Let me say it this way. If you make your journey about other people and not just your problems, you'll reach your potential this year. Not just your problems, but other people. Number four, revisit your true motivation regularly. You need to be able to ask yourself come June, why am I doing this again? And you got to have a clear answer. you got to have a clear answer. You need to know what that answer is. I had this conversation with my father. Because my father had a Widowmaker heart attack at 52 years old. My mother has IBS, has been unhealthy, ultimately had surgery and doing much better. My parents are unhealthy in their 50s. And I know we just kind of throw that off sometimes, but it matters when you sit in the hospital for multiple months in a year. And I just say, you know what? What's your motivation, Dad? Do you want to see Marley? Do you want to see me walk Marley down the aisle? Do you want to see that? You're going to have to change. I don't know how else to say it. Do you want to see that? What's your motivation? If your motivation is there, you need to answer the question. For me, I'm just speaking for me, okay? This year, I went into this new year, and I'm not a person that's totally unhealthy, but I know that with the stress and demands of ministry and just having a place of release, I said, I'm changing this year you know what I did? I started actually on December 24th because January 1 just feels weird to me. So I said, I'm going to do it through the holidays too. So on December 24th, I said, I'm running 600 miles in 2016. Well, I'm blowing that pace out. I'm over 50 miles. And it, it feels better. What happens for me is my energy. I, I don't have stomach issues when I run like that. I mean, It's the healthiest stomach I've had in weeks. I'll be honest with you. Well, you say, Craig, what? Well, I wasn't that unhealthy, but catch this. What's my motivation? How much more effective can dwelling place movement be if I don't die at 70 but die at 90? Thousands of maybe millions of people are affected because of 20 years of living. What's my motivation? Not just for me, but for, for others. You got to visit. And then fifthly and finally, you got to put it in ink. Everybody say, no pencil, in ink. I'm going to ask the band to come at this time. I'm going to ask them to come. You know what I'm going to challenge you to do as we close. It's no big surprise. It's no big surprise. What I'm asking people to do that are part of our church is I just want to ask unapologetically that every single one of us who are serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ, what I'm asking you to do is to spend some time this week redrafting and recrafting your schedule. Not by saying... What do I have to get done but by saying, who do I want to become? If you'll ask that question and then you'll say, is it reflected in my schedule? Your life will change. Look at me, dads. I'm closed. Look, dads. I'm just a dad speaking to other dads. What if every DP dad this year put appointments in their schedule with their sons and daughters and they held them on the same status as their meetings with their CEO's? What if every dad in our community put appointment with Knox, appointment with Marley, and we held them as valuable and as high as a status as any other meeting on our schedule? We'd be a different church. Our families would be different families. If you seek first the kingdom of God and reflect that in a schedule, you'll lay on your deathbed with a full-hearted man and a full-hearted woman with all kinds of unrealized potential. go to the grave having expended all for your family for generations to come because you were wise. Come on somebody, you're wise. This is big news. I know it's practical message. Uh, this is big news this can change. this can change your life. It can change your life. So this week, take those steps. take those five steps, look back and you'll say, you know when it started? It started back there. Margins 2016. I remember I attended a church was that church dwelling place over there in Woodstock. That's where it all changed. That's where it all changed. I want to invite just real quick our small group leaders up so you can get a name with a face. If you guys would come real quick, just our small group leaders. I just want you to spread out here. I just want to show them because they are meeting this evening. And uh, I want you to see their their faces. And uh, so proud of these people. Can you put your hands together as they come? So grateful for them to step into this role of serving. So over here on my far right... Your far left is uh, Danielle and uh, Tony, Danielle O'Neill and Tony Parsons. And they're going to be, again, um, young ladies, okay? Young ladies small group going to take place in Kennesaw. It's going to be tonight at 6.30. Here is Gil and uh, Blanca Pena, and they're in North Marietta. Theirs is from 6 until 8 p.m. And uh, it would be awesome to connect with them tonight. They've been leading a small group, not just launching. This is the one that's been uh, continually uh, going, even last semester. Right here is Travis. He leads a college-age man. It's on Monday nights at KSU. And for those who are single and young men, you want to connect, Travis. Next is Trent and Ashley. And uh, Trent and Ashley are going to be leading, leading a young couples group. It takes place tonight off Town Lake Parkway in their place. It's very kid-friendly. They'll be having someone take care of the kids And it'll take place at 5. It's a little bit better scheduled for the young kids. It'll be from 5 until 6.30. And then there on the end is Bryce and Natalie and uh, the Patricks. And their their group is going to be meeting in Roswell. So anyone east of 92, but either single or couples, love for you to connect to that group. And uh, we're just not just believing that God would use uh, these small groups to help be a catalyst for spiritual growth in people's life. that, That God would multiply these groups this year. And that people would see that we are truly his disciples by the way we love one another. And so I wanted to show them uh, to you and just kind of present them to you. And if you could right now, would you just stretch your hands this way and let's just pray for the launch of groups. And then I want to challenge you with one last thought. Father, we just pray for these leaders today, God. We just ask that you would allow God, not just for those that are part of dwelling place, but God, maybe those in the community, those neighbors that they're connecting with and their apartment complexes on their streets, God, that Lord, you would grant favor favor to their lives and leadership, that there would be, God, the energy, there would be, oh, God, the resource to do what you put in their heart to do. And I pray tonight for those that may visit, that may give it a try, that, God, all of the, the the awkwardness or inhibitions that we feel, God, would just uh, would be overwhelmed and overcome by love. And, God, we're on this journey together, and we're seeking to encourage one another all the more, as your word says, we see the day approaching. And I pray, oh, God, that you would strengthen them, strengthen their lives, their relationships. Help them, oh, God. To serve pastorally in the lives of these people, to shepherd them, to see these young men and young women, these middle-aged men men and women, and these older men and women, God, grow into the disciples of Jesus Christ that you've called them to be. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. You guys can uh, go back to your seat. Put your hands together for them as they go down. I want to ask you a question. If you say I'm a Matthew 633, I want to seek God, His kingdom, first his righteousness all these other things shall be added to you I know you can't draft your schedule here that's not what I'm asking but you say I want to be a seek first believer in 2016 I want my schedule to reflect who God's called me to become what I want to ask you to do is just stand on your feet right now that may be 100% that may be 80% but you say I want to be that kind of person this morning I want to be that kind of person let's just lift our hands to the Lord right now and I want you just to roll it over the psalmist said take your commit your plans to the Lord that just means roll it over Wipe your hands of it. And the Bible says he'll do it. What? He. God will accomplish it as you commit to him. We don't live by the letter of the law. We live by faith. But you know what? That faith causes us to make some determination, some commitment. God, this is what you're asking me to do in this year. Let's lift our hands. And I want you right now on your own lips just to tell the Lord, God, that's who I want to be in 2016. I want to be a Seek First Believer. Seeking your kingdom, your righteousness first, God. That I have margin in my life for the things that matter. That I have margin to spend time with you, Jesus. That I have margin to take days of rest. To have a Sabbath. Lord, that's who we want to be this year. That's who we want to be this year. I want us just to lift up our voices. and Let's just begin to give God praise right now as we close. Let's just lift our voices and sing this. biggest moment of your life somebody strayed from him and you're ready to renew intimacy with him through confession healing forgiveness you say Pastor Craig I want you to pray for me he will not come where he's not invited there's no reason to be ashamed in a community like this you say Craig that's me I want to count to three if that's you just raise your hand I want to see you one two three is anyone in this room that's your commitment yes awesome awesome anyone else anyone else awesome praise God anybody else God bless you young man anyone else you say that's, that's me today that's me today. Praise God. Praise God. I want everybody in this room, if you'll pray this prayer, those who just raise your hand, the Bible said, if you believe in your mouth and confess, or excuse me, believe in your heart and confess through the mouth, you shall be saved. Not just raising your hand, the blood of Jesus can cleanse you today. I want everybody to pray this prayer, say, Dear God, Dear God I come to you today. I come to you in, the Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I surrender life. all that I am, all that I, have, all that I have to you, Jesus. To you, Jesus. All of my life. My past, my my present, my present, my my future is in your hands, Jesus. So I believe, Lord Jesus, you came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. You died on a cross. You paid a debt that you did not owe. Because I owed a debt that I could not pay. And now I surrender to you. I confess you as Lord of my life. I believe, Lord Jesus, you were resurrected. You ascended to the Father, to and now you're seated, and now you're praying seated. for me this morning. You are my Lord. I give you my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Can we put our hands together and give God praise for those who prayed that prayer? Put that in your heart, made that decision. Listen, we celebrate you. Connect with a small group. Connect with the work of giving, gifting team this week. We love you so much. Make sure you're back next week. Week three, pick up some invites. We're going to talk about moral margin next week, and then we're going to end it with financial margin. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time. God bless you, folks. You are dismissed. In the name of the Lord, hope you have an amazing, amazing week. God bless you.